Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. My name's Elijah. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee Church. And man, I just love being a part of this community. I love being in the presence of God with you. I love being in community with you. So it's a pleasure for me to be here today. A little bit about myself. I absolutely love Ikea. Uh, Not only do I love their furniture, but I love the meatballs. So good. The thing I love most, though, about Ikea is actually being able to put the furniture together. It's like high-stakes Legos for adults. Um, And throughout my wife and I's marriage, we've bought a couple of items from Ikea, and I turn into a little giddy boy when we get it home, and I start pulling the boxes out, and my wife's like, do you have to do this right now? Can you wait till the kids go to bed? Can you, you know, just give me some time, so, because I know you're going to be at this for a little bit. And we, we purchased a, a cabinet a couple years ago that we, we bought it to organize toys for our kids, et cetera. And it was, it was a real simple cabinet piece. It was one of these things where it, it was the same type of box built on top of each other. So I looked at the directions, built, built one of the boxes, said, I got this. I'm gonna build the rest of these boxes. I get it all put together. It's all built up. I'm like, this is going great. This is awesome. I go to put the door on. I put the door on one of the cabinets. Perfect. Grab the next door, put it on the second cabinet. And it's not perfect. Uh, So I'm like, I'll try the third one. I I get the third door and I try to put it on the cabinet and it's not working. And I start getting frustrated. And then I look at the directions and I see that I have put the entire thing together together wrong. So I had to take it all down and put it all back together just so it could be right. And here's the thing. My assumption about how something was put together led me down a wrong direction. My assumptions of how these things worked took my eyes off of the directions and I ended up doing the wrong thing. I think many of us Maybe you don't like Ikea furniture, but I think many of us can do this. We can make assumptions about something or someone and and think that we have it figured out. We can base our questions and our assumptions on our life experience. We can even think that our way, our way of life, our way of thinking is the best way. Or we can sit down with a friend, we can say, hey, Listen, let me give you the best piece of advice you've ever heard in your life. Now, I think the disciples are no different. And it becomes very obvious because Jesus, just five chapters before chapter 18, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And he shares seven parables. Not not only does he share the parables, he packages it nicely for the disciples and he explains the parables to where you would think, I got it, I got it, thanks Jesus. But the disciples, one of the disciples' first questions, which my assumption is, is that the disciple who said this probably went to Matthew and said, hey, don't write my name down, just put the disciples, ask this question. (laughs) 
The first question, one of the first questions they ask is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They don't even ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? They don't even ask, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? They just ask, hey, who's the greatest? Who's the best? Really, they're wanting this, the, themselves to line up all 12 of them and say, hey, Jesus, if you could just pick who the best is, that would really help us out. Now, the disciples are assuming a lot here. There's a couple of assumptions they're making. One would be that, that Jesus at this point has actually said, hey, I'm gonna be leaving soon. I'm gonna be leaving the earth soon. And so naturally, I mean, if I was there, I'd be like, okay, well then who's gonna be left in charge? Because it shouldn't be James or whoever, it should be me. The second thing is the disciples are still in this mode of thinking that Jesus has come for a military takeover. They have had hundreds of years of prophecy prophesying that the, the king, Jesus, or the Messiah will be king. So they're automatically thinking, okay, military takeover, I wanna know where I stand in this whole thing. And lastly, I, I think they're most likely thinking, listen, Jesus, hey, we, <laughs> we have cast out demons. We have healed the sick. We have seen the oppressed set free. So Jesus, come on, come on. Just tell us who did it best. Tell us who, who, tell us who, who did this the best. I mean, Peter, just, the, just a few verses before here, caught a fish with money in its mouth. If I was Peter, I'd be like, I'm, I am pretty good. I'm finding money in fish's mouths. Jesus then goes to flip all of this on its head. So the disciples have their assumptions and then Jesus comes in for the next eight verses of this section. He communicates with love, with care, and with urgently, urgent intensity. He, he, he communicates very clearly and he speaks three things about Christian community, about the type of community that he's wanting to see. And he gives three ways. He gives three things. He gives the way, he gives a warning in the way that we care and lead others. And he gives what I like to call a woe, which means great distress, great grief of how we should treat sin in our lives. He says this, it says, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Now Jesus putting a child before the disciples when they ask this question, is somewhat audacious. I think it's good for us to understand the context and where children stood in this society. I mean, I think we hold children fairly well in our society. We love them, we care for them. And in, in, in Jesus, when he's talking about this, he puts this, this is what the disciples are thinking. They viewed children as hands to work in the field. They viewed children as, as hands to work in the family business. In the Greek and Roman culture, they saw children as expendable. If it wasn't what you wanted, you just got rid of it. Now this specific translation of child is little one, meaning toddler. I don't know about you. I've had a few toddlers in my family and they are somewhat limited in their understanding they're limited really to just listening and obeying. 
Now, Jesus doesn't answer their specific question. And specifically, he doesn't answer about their question of greatness. He says this, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is greatest in the king, kingdom of heaven. Jesus first gives away. This is how he answers their question. He, he is ultimately saying the, the way to gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven is to be like this little one. Jesus doesn't speak of rank. He doesn't speak of position. He goes all the way back. He said to even enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like this little one. The call to gain entrance to the kingdom is through humbling ourselves to be like children. The only way to approach Jesus, the only way is through humility. Now, what does humility look like? Like I said, I have some kids and uh, I love them so dearly. Now, when my son comes down in the morning, I typically say the same thing. Do you want breakfast? And you can have these two things. You can have Cheerios or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And he goes, huh, um, what can I have? Cheerios or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Now, the, the choice is obvious to me. I want Cinnamon Toast Crunch. But my son can't even make a decision without me helping him. So eventually I just choose one for him, knowing he want, really wants Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I get the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, give him a bowl with milk, and I say, here you go. He needs help getting dressed. He needs help knowing what to do. He needs help going places. I have to take him places. They go to friends' friend's house that I have chose for them. I chose their friends, if I'm honest. Now, the reality is, is that our kids depend on Anna and myself. They, they believe in their heart of hearts that we have their best interest in mind. They believe that we have the answers and we know what to do. The only way into the kingdom is to be like a child. The only way into the kingdom is actually down. We must decrease so that Jesus, he may increase in our lives. Humility is the way to right relationship with God and with others. Isaiah 55, eight through nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus is trying to get at the heart of something with the disciples. Where do they place their value? knowing that Jesus' thoughts, God's thoughts are higher, his ways are higher. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe that he has what's best? Or does our pride and our assumptions, our thinking and our own desires rule our lives? Jesus then moves on to a warning. 
says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Now, the meaning of child here shifts a bit. It goes from us to outwardly others. And those specific others would be those that are insignificant, those that are ignorable, those that are needy, those that have been outcast. Now, as I'm saying this, you're prob- there's probably people coming to your mind. Let me just tell you, I, when I was reading this this week, I began to think of those types of people in my own life. Jesus also mentions all of these types of people in Matthew 5, late, earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Jesus takes us from, this is how you approach the kingdom with humility, to here is an automatic action point for you to express the humility that you've experienced with the little ones, to care and love those that are overlooked. Jesus demonstrated this in his own life. He did this over and over again. He cares for the woman of the city in Luke 7. He, he sits with the woman at the well. He stops to heal the, heal the blind man that everyone else was walking by. He stops to heal the blind man in Luke 18. He heals the leper in, Mar- in Matthew 8, and the list goes on and on and on. This is core to the life and ministry of Jesus. And I love being a part of a community that we can see outworkings of this already. I love our J Kids ministry. Speaking of the little ones, I love our J Friends ministry that helps children that that need extra help. I, I absolutely love our families that foster and adopt in our community. I love being a part of community groups that serve the city. Our community groups are involved in Love the Lou, which serves teens in this city. They're involved in Young Life to serve teens in this city. They're involved at Booter Elementary School where we're starting to tutor and and help with service projects. And just in a couple of months, we're gonna have something called the Christmas Store that we do every year, that we are able to provide and help families provide a Christmas that they couldn't by providing gifts for them. I love being a part of a community that is outwardly working this out. But then Jesus makes this very extreme statement. And when I read this, I thought, man, is Jesus just like having a bad day? Like, what's going on, man? Do you like need some food? Like, what is happening? He says, it is better for him who have sinned against these little ones to fasten a great millstone around his neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Now, I will say that it's very clear that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. This is a very extreme statement, but what I do want to be clear on is it doesn't diminish the seriousness in which he is wanting to communicate to his disciples that there is a call to care for and love the overlooked 
the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Jesus is essentially communicating this. He's saying, those that bear my name, the name of Jesus should also bear the fruit of my name. Jesus is communicating, if you bear the name of Jesus, you should bear the fruit of Jesus. If we claim to love Jesus, how does it work out in our lives? John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus is calling us to bear fruit. He is calling us to humbly approach those that are the vulnerable, the oppressed, the outcast, to see him bear fruit in their lives. Now in this next section, Jesus kind of increases his intensity. He increases his seriousness when he brings the woe the great distress, the grief. He says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptation come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter with one eye, enter life with one eye and with two to be thrown into the hellfire. I wanna be clear on something. Jesus is grieved. I think sometimes we can read stuff like this and we can just, we picture Jesus with like his fist, like pounding a podium saying, hey, listen up, listen up. But like I said, woe means distress. It means grief. I picture Jesus with tears in his eyes, looking at his disciples, saying woe to the world for temptation to sin. Because I think Jesus understood something in that moment. I think Jesus understood that, man, sin separates you from me. And I want you near me. And so with great distress, he, he says this, extreme, extreme thing of how we should handle sin. He's distressed by his disciples and their sin that's drawing them away from him. He knows, and he also knows that his children will experience temptation. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't experience that. I don't experience temptation. Let me just say, if you haven't experienced temptation yet, you will. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But I think the thing I love is that Jesus gives us a clear way to keep ourselves from temptation. He says to cut it off. Now, again, he's talking in hyperbole. I don't think he literally means this because if he did, we would all, all of us in this room would have one hand, one foot and one eye I thought about asking the ushers to pass saws out as you left. So go ahead and take your saw when you leave because you're gonna need it. But Jesus is not wanting, I I don't want the hyperbole or even the thinking of that to subtract from Jesus' seriousness 
that he's wanting to communicate to his disciples and us about how to deal with sin. James 1, 14 through 16, it says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Our temptations come from our own desires. They drag us away from him. He wants to cut to the heart. So like I said, I mean, Jesus doesn't wanna communicate like, hey, if this is happening, do this, cut your hand off, cut your foot. No, what he's saying is, hey, I, this isn't a, a hand issue. This is a heart issue. This isn't a foot issue. This is a heart issue. This isn't an issue of your eyes. It's actually an issue of your heart. He's wanting to get to the heart. He says, cut it off. Deal harshly and urgently with the sin in your life. Kill sin or it will kill you. It brings death. I'm sure many of you know about the Titanic, right? It's been in the news a little bit over the last year. They truly thought the Titanic was an unsinkable ship. That was like no doubt in their mind, it is unsinkable. Why would you advertise it as an unsinkable ship if you didn't believe it? They did, and they built it in such a way where they compartmentalized the ship to where if one compartment took on water, it was sealed off to where the rest of the ship wouldn't have water in it. Now, what they didn't take account for is that when one compartment fills with water, it begins to be drugged down. So essentially, when this compartment filled, it got pulled deeper and deeper into the water, filling more and more compartments, and eventually it destroyed the ship before sin destroys, it will deceive you. Temptation will deceive you. We can feel okay with a little bit of sin. Hey, look, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I, yeah, I looked at that, but it like doesn't hurt anyone else. Oh yeah, I thought that, or I talked about that person. It, you know, it's, it didn't hurt anyone else. No one else heard it. No one else saw it. It's all right. But Jesus doesn't give a list of sins. I don't know if you realize that. In this passage, he doesn't say, hey, if you deal with these sins, that's when you need to be serious about this. He says, kill it. Get rid of it. It's better for you to limp into life than leap into death. Which would you rather? Do we care more about our comfort and our pride do we care about that more than what Jesus cares about? Are, are we willing to share our pains, our thoughts that we struggle with, the sin in our lives with others around us? Let me ask you, like, what, what about you here today? Can you relate to the disciples' questions? Are you finding your identity in a position or what you bring to the table? Do you relate and rely on your own assumptions and thinking? Have you put your ways above God's ways? Do you practice humility by caring for the little one? Are you okay with being inconvenienced and interrupted in your life? Do you give into temptation? 
Have you been okay with the little things that cause you to sin? Have you told yourself, maybe this month, maybe this week, maybe even this morning, it's not that bad. Now, as I prepared for this, I found myself being extremely convicted. And honestly, I felt fairly overwhelmed. I, I read this and I just thought, whoa, this seems like a lot. Maybe you're in a similar place this morning. Now, there is good news. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He didn't ask us to, you know, he didn't give us this list of stuff and just say, okay, go do it. He said, hey, I'll be with you in it. I won't leave you alone. And the thing that we can take so much comfort in is that Jesus actually went first. Jesus humbled himself first. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, have this among yourselves, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The one who had the right to claim his position didn't. The one who had the, the right to boast in his greatness didn't. The one who had all the right and all the clout to say, hey, I am the guy, laid his life down as a servant. The guy who was fully God yet fully man, but didn't grasp on to his deity, but fully gave it away. He laid down his life for you and for me. He came down into this messy place and he made a way where there wasn't a way. He lived perfectly but he didn't call us to live perfectly, but to a beautiful relationship with the perfect one. He is calling us, but he's not calling us to try to clean ourselves up, to try to make ourselves better. He is calling us to be transformed into his likeness. Jesus specifically is talking to the disciples about what church or Christian community should look like. What would it look like for us to be the type of community that approaches God with humility? What would it look like if we truly believe that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts what would it look like if we truly practiced humility by caring for the little ones around us? What would it look like if we were a community that humbled ourselves in such a way that we took sin seriously, we rooted it out, and that anything that separated us from Jesus, we confessed? It would be a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Like, hey, heaven on earth is a community that looks like this. The kingdom of heaven being demonstrated here on earth, the church being a people that's not joshing for position, 
saying, I want mine. The church being the church that serves the needs of the little one of this world. The church being the people that take his word seriously and his ways seriously. We would be like the Bible talks about a sweet aroma to the world around us. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He also says, you're the light in the darkness. Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We're called to live differently. And looking at Jesus, as we look at Jesus, the one who emptied himself, do we approach him with humility the way he laid down his life? Are we looking for a position? Do we put our value over his value? Am I practicing humility and care and love for the little ones around me? Am I willing to be inconvenienced for those around me? Am I humbling myself by confessing sin and repenting of it today? Today we can humble ourselves before him. The one who went first by humbling himself to the point of death. Jesus is calling us to himself. The call is simple. Come to Jesus. And as we look to him, we will be like a sweet aroma. We will be light in the darkness. We will be different. And maybe you're here today, and again, you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're here today and, and you feel like, how am I going to do this? Well, let me just say again, it's by coming to the one who humbled himself first. It's coming to Jesus. And I wanna invite the band up so that we can begin to respond. But I just wanna be clear. Jesus is calling. He is calling to you this morning. And maybe you're here today and you've never met this Jesus that I've been talking about, the one who gave his life, the one who released his deity so that he can come into human form and give his life. Maybe you don't know him. He wants to know you today. Jesus wants to know you today. We must be transformed into his likeness. And maybe you're here and, and maybe as I'm talking, you, you've thought, man, I really don't, I really struggle with those that are insignificant, the ones that I kind of try to avoid, the ones that I try to maneuver around so that I, I, I'm not inconvenienced by. Maybe as I'm talking, you're feeling that. I would say that maybe God wants to do something in your heart this morning. I think he wants to lift your eyes to him. The one who did it. He, he was inconvenienced. 
I think it's pretty inconvenient to leave your heavenly home, to come to the earth, into the mess, to be with you and me. I'd say that's pretty inconvenient. He gives us a better way. And maybe you're here and maybe you're hiding sin. Maybe you've been giving into temptation. Maybe you've just given it a little bit. Here and there, doesn't hurt anyone. Man, sin separates. Sin separates. Man, we have a God who again came down from heaven. He didn't say, hey, work your way up to where maybe you'll be in right relationship with me. He said, I know I'm gonna go into your mess because I have this deep, deep desire in me to, to draw people to myself. Jesus is here today and we can come to the feet of Jesus. And as I prepared, I found myself on the floor at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, my heart is deceived. I need you. I love it when my kids say, Dad, I need you. Dad, I need your help. Dad, I don't know how to put my shoes on. Hey, Dad, please help. I love it. It's not annoying. Jesus is not annoyed by you saying, oh God, I need help. I need you. So as we sing, would you stand with me? If you felt those, those three things, God wants to meet you today. And I wanna invite our community group leaders up to my left and your right. And as we sing, I encourage you to respond to the good news of Jesus. You have a God in heaven who's not annoyed saying, I need help. He's not looking with a heavy hand to turn you away. He's beckoning you back to himself. So as we sing, come. Come and receive prayer.